Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the private view of appearances. ACRA is so delighted to welcome back Turner Prize exhibiting artist, Nathan Coley. Welcome, Nathan. Many of you will recall that last year, Nathan exhibited his spectacular work, Heaven is a Place Where Nothing Ever Happens, in ACRA's forecourt as part of the Melbourne International Arts Festival. And this year, as part of our ongoing relationship, Nathan has created a significant and new commission and exhibition for ACCA. Nathan has transformed ACCA's largest exhibition hall, as you can see to my left, into a civic plaza defined by a series of cast concrete platforms. Real ones, Juliana keeps telling me. And he has created a scale model of Melbourne Scots Church, along with other new works in the parallel galleries. The intriguing questions that come to mind are, what is it about such public spaces and buildings that attracts people to gather in them? Why do we congregate at certain sites? And what is it about such spaces and buildings that reflects our faith that they will endure? As part of this exhibition, we will also have the pleasure of seeing actress Kate Blanchett in the role of an architect in the latest instalment of Nathan's ongoing lecture series. Kate will narrate a slideshow of architectural projects that her fictional office has undertaken. But amusingly, amusingly and ironically, these images reveal less about architecture and more about the urban fracture and decay to be found in cities like Melbourne and Nathan's hometown of Glasgow. Kate Blanchett has been extremely generous in her support of other artists, and we're most grateful for her continued interest in ACCA. It was an absolute delight to have her involved in this project too. An exhibition of this size and scale could never be realised without outside support. Tonight, I'd like to acknowledge the British Council for their support of the public programs related to this exhibition. I'd also like to give special thanks to Michael Buxton for his assistance in putting us together with Nick Brown from Icon Construction Australia and to Rob Mordew of Mordew Engineering who have helped prepare the concrete plinths. And our gratitude and thanks to our project patrons, Andrew Cameron, Dr. Michael Welch, Ninochka Tichowski and BVN Architecture, Peter Lovell and Michael Jan, Broderick and Fiona Eli from BE Architecture, John Denton and Susan Conn, Vanessa Bird and Neil de la Coeur from Bird de la Coeur. We're indebted to each one of you for helping us to make this wonderful exhibition possible. I'd now like to invite Kirsten Freeman, Deputy Director of the British Council, to say a few words. Ladies and gentlemen, Kirsten Freeman. Thanks very much, Naomi. And, and first, I'd really like to thank ACCA for allowing the council to say just a few short words before the in-conversation between Juliana and Nathan this evening, which I know we're all very much looking forward to. So just a little bit about the British Council, why we are supporting the programs surrounding uh, the exhibition here and the kind of uh, work and partners that we work with. 
British Council is the UK's international cultural relations agency. And what that means in essence is that we work to connect people with the UK and the kinds of people that we like to work with are artists, creatives and innovators. Uh, whilst the, the, the work that we do undoubtedly is about building influence for the UK, we're very, everything that we do is really grounded in mutuality. So we believe that by supporting projects which build understanding, uh, that develops mutual respect and better ways of going about things. We actually do this in a, in a pretty substantial way. We, uh, the British Council has over 100 offices around the world in places as diverse as Iraq, many countries in Africa, Burma, to Paris, Washington, and of course Sydney and Melbourne. And we do that with over 4,000 staff, so we're quite a large organisation. Now the way we connect people with, with the UK, so to speak, is, is threefold really, inbound, outbound and something in between. So as an example of inbound, of course, tonight and, and our support uh, of Nathan Coley and, and ACCA, which we love and not so long ago we supported the Tacita Dean show here as well. In terms of outbound, we offer scholarships and awards which allow Australians to spend time in the UK. Our program that's open at the moment and probably our best known program is Realise Your Dream which we've been running for nine years now and allows emerging Australian creatives to spend time in the UK, forming connections which hopefully will, they will take with them throughout the rest of their careers. Uh, we've actually made 40 awards over the nine years that we've been running that program and once again we're very pleased to be rolling it out again with our long-standing partner, the National Australia Bank, Virgin Atlantic Airways and a new partner for us this year too in BBC Knowledge. Finally, the something in between. They're the longer term, really genuine UK-Australian artistic collaborations. Uh, a current example is we're working with the Black Armband, which many of you will know, on an 18-month collaboration with Welsh artists, which is really about exploring issues of mutual interest and has kind of transpired that the kinds of things that they're looking at are the preservation of language and storytelling. And the culmination of this 18-month collaboration will be a performance as part of the cultural program at London 2012. So it's something that we're really proud of and terrifyingly it's just a year away now. So um, I hope this has managed to demystify a little bit uh, about what the British Council does and thank you for listening and I'd just like to reiterate once more how really pleased we are to be supporting Nathan Coley and Acker. Thank you. I have an awful feeling that's my phone. <laughs> Can we just let it go? <laughs> it's hiding somewhere, but I can't get to it. Um, it will stop now. Yes. No. <laughs> Pretty embarrassing, PJ. Why don't you turn it off? Thanks, Kirsten. Um, the launch of appearances is the first in a series of design and architecture related activities for ACCA this year. In early July, ACCA will host the State of Design Festival for three nights of talks, events and broadcasts. On the 29th of June, there will be a forum on civic architecture as part of ACCA's own public program, moderated by Rob Adams. And it has a fascinating lineup of guest speakers, so please make a note of those dates. Special thanks now to this evening's event partners, Damn Fine Food, delicious, thank you, wine supplier Scotchman's Hill and Little Creatures Brewing who supplied the beer. And it now gives me great pleasure to introduce ACCA's Artistic Director Juliana Enberg and Nathan Coley, thank you.
disrobe. Good idea. That's Mark Ginger. You all right? Good evening. Can you hear him? Yes. Can you understand him? <laughs> Welcome, Nathan. Thank Welcome you back. Much. I mean, you're, you're like a, a sort of Melbourne sun in a way. You've been here quite often. And last year when we did the, uh, the sign, you brought your family. And I, I, I get a little bit of a sense that you're quite fond of Melbourne. I feel like it's uh, my second home. And uh, genuinely, that's made me feel quite, in one sense, quite relaxed relaxed about making work here but also fills me with fear because uh, you know if you're playing sport away from home it's uh, kind of easier but if it's if it's in front of your own fans it uh, somehow changes things so it's either the best of both worlds or the worst of both <laughs> or something um, I think you've many many friends and and some new fans um, as a consequence of your constant appearance here and um, most recently disappearance too and we'll get on to that in a minute but I wanted to just take us a little bit back in time uh, back to when we first met which I think was around about 12 years ago 98 I think it was yeah yeah we were both less well you're still old but I'm quite grey now um, but you you had just finished a project uh, called Sanctuary and you presented me with a, a book, and it was a book full of um, interviews that Nathan had conducted with people in Edinburgh, seeking some clarification from them about what they might think a sanctuary was, an urban sanctuary might be. And you spo spoke to theologians and to policemen and a whole host of people. I thought, that, that's an interesting project. I mean, it was, it was very thoughtful. And although I didn't have an opportunity to make use of that project. What, you didn't read the book? I did read the book and I have the book and I think I think the book's actually pretty valuable. I, you know, I'm going to keep a hold of it. It's a collector's item. It's a collector's yeah. item. Um, if you go on eBay, it's probably really, you know, pricey now. But I, I couldn't use it then, but I did think it was a very thoughtful practice. It seemed to involve a lot of um, interesting and, and co-meshed co ideas, really. There was the, this concept of um, public congregation the need within the public realm itself to find perhaps uh, points of, of respite and repose. Um, issues of faith came into the picture, but also um, other kinds of considerations too. I mean, the policeman was very interesting because his take on public space was much more about how could you control space perhaps, how, mm. how is public space which might spill into uh, disunity and, and things, how could that um, perhaps actually be a sanctuary? Yeah, I know you want to speak, but I get to speak first, and then you get to speak a little bit. Um, <laughs> and I think I think it's very nice that 12 years ago we started that conversation, and we haven't moved on. <laughs> but and now we have, and now we have the public plaza yeah. inside Acker. I asked uh, I asked everyone in this uh, series of interviews the same question, which I'll ask you tonight, which was, where would you find and where would you go to seek sanctuary? And I think it's a very kind of essential question. It's a very old philosophical question as well. What in your life would you change to somehow find stillness or peace or fulfillment? And the fascinating thing was 
uh, of course, everyone's answer was completely different. There was no commonology. That didn't really help me because I was trying to build a public artwork which would somehow satisfy the question. I was going to build something which would be a sanctuary to satisfy everyone's need. And of course, it became very obvious that the last thing to do would be to actually make something. So hence, we published the interviews. So I asked uh, my dear friend, Christine Boland, who's also an artist, her response was that she wanted time away from her children. <laughs> Three girls that she dearly loved, but uh, she so she wanted to invent kind of a slip in time. Um, I, m I met with the Dean of Divinity in Edinburgh University, a very a very clever man, but also a very generous man. And he said, well, if you were to build this place of sanctuary, you must understand that it would sit out with normal law, that there would be two types of law would have power over this room, this space, this building. And I, of course, was intrigued as being a young, kind of red-headed, goopy young artist. The idea of having two types of law would be really quite something. And he said, yeah, there would, there would be common law and there would be God's law. So, of course, the next conversation had to be with the chief superintendent of Lothian Borders Police. And I said, uh, there's a guy up in the university there who says that if I make this urban sanctuary in Edinburgh that you wouldn't have jurisdiction over it and you couldn't enforce uh, your uh, rules. And he said, uh, in 20 years of being a policeman, I've never been asked that question. And he kind of actually agreed. He said uh, that... And this is pertinent, I think, to the show. He said that if you seek political asylum and you run into a church or a mosque or a synagogue or an art gallery, he felt that the police force that he manages would not break the door down and drag you screaming and shouting to the police cell. He said that they wouldn't. And the reason he said that they would not do that is because they have to act with consent of the community. Which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. And that made me, and it still stayed with me, these many interviews in terms of the difference between us all as individuals and how that changes when we become a group and how the dynamic changes and also how our perception of ourself changes. So in a, in a very formal and physical way, I think, the the objects that we've created here are kind of touching on that very uh, pertinent uh, subject. They have a, a interesting stillness, which is part of their materiality, I think. And at times, this is a very reposeful space. It's also a very activated space, too. It changes a lot depending on how people are using it. Before we get to here, I just wanted to update uh, your progress as it were, and yes, we have moved on. But before this project, um, qu and quite recently, you've made a cemetery, another form of kind of sanctuary at the Jupiter Sculpture Park, which mm. is um, just near Edinburgh. If you're ever near Edinburgh, really make a, a, a little segue out. It's only, what, about 20 minutes, 20 minutes out yeah. of Edinburgh, and it's a really fantastic uh, installation of outdoor sculptures. And Nathan has made this, this wonderful um, 
cemetery using the concrete uh, surround and with this lovely bow of a tree that comes into the sanctuary and then these uh, tombstones that have been redacted, um, yeah, uh, the eliminated the thing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because it's such a nice project. I think it's, it's nice for people to sort of know how you kind of keep progressing through. It was described in the... Uh, I can blow my own trumpet here, come on. <laughs> it was described in the Sunday Times as being one of the most seminal commissioned public artworks of the decade. There you week. go. That's not bad, is it? Cost me a fortune. <laughs> uh, it's interestingly, it's private land. It's private collectors, and they commission new work by artists. And I think, I think I wouldn't have made this work had it been public land or public money. And that's that's an interesting conversation that maybe I could share with you individually afterwards and why I think that. They so they knew my work and asked me to make a new a new sculpture, a new work in their in their l let's loosely describe it as a sculpture park. There are other works there. There's of course there's an Anthony Gormley, uh, Anish Kapoor, Ian Hamilton Finlay. There's some really beautiful works. They have a very um large Jacobean mansion house that they have been renovating and uh, many houses of that style and type and many estates of that size in Scotland would have a graveyard in their grounds where the family would be buried in the same place as their ancestors. Now uh, Bonington House as it, as it is doesn't. So I, in a very simple way I wanted to give I wanted to make a piece of work not for the couple, the collectors, but for the house. Um, so I made a, an enclosure, a kind of 10 metre square secret garden in the middle of the forest uh, using poured concrete. So it's a very aggressive intervention into nature which rather beautifully makes the trees look more like trees and makes the grass even greener than they were before. And you enter into the this sanctuary, I guess, and the e there's one entrance, which is also the exit. And the width of the entrance is the width of my shoulders, so it's very narrow. And the height of the wall is the reach, my reach, so it's this kind of ergonomics to it. And then you go inside and it's quite uh, sort of landscaped, uh, almost like a kind of civic cemetery rather than a graveyard. And there's a number of headstones. And the key conceptual thing about the headstones is that they are um, they're recycled. and the names have been removed. So what happens is, I'm very consciously not trying to say too much about it. It's one of those works that I need to learn not to narrate. It needs to be kind of quiet and undeciphered. Uh, it is very quiet when you come upon it. You come, you yeah. go down a long track to and I think what happens, other things. Like just to, just to yep. interrupt you. <laughs> What happens with the absence of the name is you 
project your name onto the the redacted granite headstone or you project your grandmother's name or your mother's name or your father's name or so it's a very um i've created this rather emotive charged uh, very um powerful thing and i think um there's no way i would have done it with public money isn't that interesting yeah i think it is interesting i mean because it is such a private experience yeah. and I think that's nice the way you say it's been made for the house as though it it has a sort of longer life in many ways where the people who are there now, the Wilsons, may not be there in perpetuity and there's something yeah. sort of timeless about God that. God help anyone that buys the house and has <laughs> to deal with that. <laughs> no, I, well, they'd be lucky, I think, really. So that was the immediate previous large project in some ways that you've done before appearances. But I think some of that technical knowledge has drifted into this, that, that that use of concrete, for instance, that you actually were very excited about. I remember us talking in the studio and you were telling me about the concrete and yeah. it was such an interesting well, I, I new dragged, material. You know. I dragged Juliana to Edinburgh to see the concrete yeah. so that we knew sometimes things get lost in translation. You think you're saying blue and everybody's actually hearing red. So we needed to understand exactly what this material was that that's we were right and we had about. a very long conversation set of conversations really about truth to material yeah. that we that we we knew when we embarked on this project that it just couldn't be phony yeah. it couldn't be fake it couldn't wobble yeah. it couldn't be hollow it mustn't have an echo it had to give complete confidence to people that they could stand and dwell use it transfer themselves through it and all of these kinds of things but also that it had a rather beautiful quality to it, uh, a kind of honest quality, but yeah. a sort of dignity. There's a kind of dignity in the material, which I think is very interesting. I, I think some people probably will think that it looks quite old-fashioned, but I actually think it's quite risky and very um, kind of ahead of itself. I don't think what we're doing is, is, is um, from the past. You know, because we're living in a digital age where everything is, uh, everything seems to be done for us and is made very quickly and is the evidence of, of labour isn't, isn't there anymore. And this project has been the complete opposite, that it's been about physic physical people, physicality, the moving and the making of things literally with I don't know what concrete is, mud, cement and stones. Yeah, but, but the real object real things, is real material. Real things. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I did a clever thing before Juliana came to the studio. We made an exact replica of one of them out of MDF, the nastiest material <laughs> you can ever imagine. And I, and I made it so that we knew that that wasn't the way to make it. It's kind of negative research. And it was a really valuable exercise because it just said, listen, Juliana, if we're going to do this thing, it can't look like that. And I think that's a really radical uh, thing to do in this day and age. It is. It is. I mean, it's very radical to bring such matter into a space as well. I mean, it's not uncommon perhaps to find that in the outdoors, but, but in the outdoors it becomes a bit normalised. It's, you know, part of a, a kind of distribution of materials in the urban space. But when you bring it into the interior, it's 
all of a sudden becomes something quite different. I'm quite interested in this translation that's occurring with this project. At the moment in a lot of public art events, ephemerality has become very popular. You know, we, we're seeing sound, pro seeing sound, but we're hearing sound projects, we're, we're seeing light projects, we're seeing a lot of immaterial kinds of public events. And yet this, this is an inversion almost of, of the same thing where we've got the, the so-called public, you know, things, the heavy, you know, monumental things into the interior and into flipped it round. Into the space and the time zone which is only for a period, you know. The, the, the builders who are making it, you know, were saying, so how, how long are they going to be here? Are they going to be here for a year? <laughs> and when I said, no, till the end of July... For them, it just, their heads <laughs> blew off, you know. Ross is here. He's like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> Are these people crazy? And, you know, I, th I, I think and I believe, and I'm, I, I really hope you do as well, that the sexiness of the sculptures is because they mess with that idea of permanence and temporary, that it kind of does the opposite. I mean, counterpoint with that is the frivolousness of what I might call the fairground um, sculpture. We haven't got a name for it precisely yet, have we? But the, the one with the sort of fairy lights and so forth, which has a lightness of feel and a, 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 an almost festive character to it against this, not sombre exactly, but quite serious matter around it. Um, what, what is your thought about that? Is it that there needs to be a festivity within the, the public encounter? Well, I think there's the there's the material of the concrete and the the kind of rigidness of their forms, and then there's the the kind of celebration beauty, the curvature of the of the tree, and I think the public, you the audience, are somewhere in the middle of those two things. One is celebration and a little bit gaudy and a little bit kind of dirty, a <laughs> bit kind of 1970s or something. Bit kitsch. Yeah, mm. I mean. Some people are laughing. You kind of get that, that it's not where you would want to take your kids. But we still go to Luna Park, you know. Just for fun. Just for fun. <laughs> and the concrete's the opposite. And I think you, the viewer, is... And I guess I'm inviting you to be in the middle of that. It is a lovely material counterpoint, though. I mean, I, I e even then we when we were talking about it in the studio all those times, and we had the little, the little kind of um, marquettes yeah, of yeah. it and things like that, it never really quite lifted off for me, you know. I always thought it was a good, a good thing. And when you put it down the first time, and I thought, yes, that looks, that's right. But actually, the moment we lit it, it looked more than right. It was perfect in a kind of way. And it's just, it's interesting. How, how do you, how do you know that? I mean, you're, you're working with you over the last two years, doing the studio visits as we've done. I'd have to say, you're one of a very few artists that I've worked with who is. So precision-driven in terms of your spatiality and the preciseness with which you actually go through each element and make that decision—it's all very purposeful. You know, nothing. You know, every every time I would come, you would introduce. It was a quite tempting. You know, so I've got this one other thing to present to you, and then you'd stand back and you, hmm, what does she think? But you know, it, it was such an interesting process because then you know appears the little the tree sculpture and. You know, is that is that correct? You know, or if we take it away, is that correct? It's just adding and subtracting that you do is is a kind of fascinating process for me because very few other artists I've worked with really do. Well, Lou Hubbard, who's in the audience, does it quite well. Also, it kind of surprises me because I, they, they kind of 
maybe suited with things, but all that's just going to work really ugly. But no, we were very impressed, for instance, that you had made uh, a part of the print, yeah. you know, so that we could actually see it. Just seems dimension. like seems like the intelligent and the obvious thing to do. So, but is it because uh, going back to that comment you made about the digital world, where everything is a bit schmick and almost petrochemical in a kind of sense, is it because you know you are more or less working with things, you know, and yeah. your and your. I mean, for instance, the little church is extremely handmade. It's very evidently made by hand. It's not pretending to be machine crafted. It's not yeah. perfect. There's something important about that handmadeness and the truth yeah. to that material. Truth, maybe is a good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The 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 sculpture that's kind of hiding a little bit. Uh, it has an aesthetic. It's a kind of boy's bedroom aesthetic to it. There is some 14-year-old is in his room kind of for hours kind of tapping away making this thing. And that's very important to me that it feels, A, there's a bit of urgency in terms of its making and it's a bit weird and that it's not too slick and that it's not... Uh, There's enough of it to made to give you the idea of what it is, but not too much. I think essentially I'm someone who makes objects. I make objects which uh, perversely mean that I don't have to talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's rubbish. And here no, I am talk. again, <laughs> bloody talking. Uh, and so that I don't have to write. And so that I don't have to sing songs. And so that I don't have to be a doctor and so that I don't have to, you know, um, it's through choice that I make objects. And I make objects because I'm really excited about the confrontation that I have as an object with an object. It's as straightforward and simple as that, and it's as crazy and complicated as that. That we are objects, and we come up against another object, and I don't know f for you, but for me, sometimes it really freaks me out. And I really like that. And so making objects for no other reason other than for you to look at still gives me a buzz. Mm. Genuinely, but I can't believe I'm getting away with it you, most you, of the time. You've also made us look at objects in different kinds of ways. So the scale shifts a lot. I mean, when we go through that threshold where we have the platform that moves between the two spaces, there are these several different ways we encounter the little church. Yeah. We tower over it. We go down and we go around it. I mean, we are we are presiding over it at yeah. a time, and then it is looking down on us in a different kind of way. Even though it's miniaturized, you've actually created quite an interesting relationship with it. Even the views for it, I think, yeah. are fascinating. I find it very alluring. I don't know if that's your intent, but it's quite seductive as a thing. You keep retreating back to it, and e even though you're in the modernist, you know, kind of more egalitarian socialist kind of space in a fashion. You, you're, you're a little bit drawn back to this ecclesiastical and thing. And decoration. And the dazzle. Is, is it yeah. dazzle or razzle? Dazzle. Dazzle. Is, dazzle is camouflage. Is, yeah. is, of course, very seductive too. Yeah. I think the uh, when you step up in the concrete on the left, what happens is, well, it, ha it happens to me, you get closer to this building. You know, there's a doorway which many of you will have walked through on numerous occasions. But you get, just by being higher up, you get closer to the top of the doorway. And so I would argue for a very brief moment, your relationship with this object, the building, changes. And that's a really kind of uh, 
small, but for me quite a significant thing. I think people have enjoyed it too, and people, many people have commented on the way in which they feel the, bu- the building has shifted in that respect for them. Mm. It's also lovely when there's this group of people in the space, and they, because of the steps, they tend to go in a line. And so there's this lovely kind of wave across the space that yeah. they do as they then begin to encounter themselves in the mirror work, which is maybe a, a sort of resemblance of a building side or something of that sort, but it introduces that intersubjectivity where we see ourselves in the plaza. We're no longer completely alien or, or even ca- protected perhaps by our own false sense of individualism. We're yeah. part of a collective, aren't we? Yeah, I think... On the back wall, there's the stainless steel uh, sculpture, let's call it, and it resembles, for me, it's the skyscraper coming down, and we can say conceptually that normally the wall is the support for the painting in a really kind of mundane uh, illustration of this idea, and that the painting could arguably be the the window to another world or the window to another place or another time, you know, documenting the VIP evening at Acre on the 30th of May. But what the what the mirror does is it does the opposite. It doesn't take you, it doesn't illustrate another world. It reflects your own existence back to you. So that's a conceptually a really interesting kind of thing. And I think that's what the cityscape does. That the invention of the the skyscraper with the mirrored glass or the material which you can see your, yourself in radically changes our perception of ourselves in those spaces. So, you know, that wasn't the c- that wasn't the case in the 14th century. You had no sense of what you looked like on your way to meet your boyfriend at the bus stop, whereas now you look at yourself in reflection. Isn't that so nice? Or, or, or sort of scary yeah. <laughs> in a kind of way because, you know, there's no evading Coming home from the date that didn't go too yeah. well. Yeah. Did they have buses in the in the in medieval times, do you think? I don't think so, no. <laughs> we had a wonderful afternoon with Kate Blanchett. She was most generous uh, when, when we went to work with her in, in Sydney. And I think um, I do want to talk just a little bit about that project because it's, it's slightly different to the character of the rest of the show and it's, it's something that you've done as an ongoing series of slide uh, presentations. Why, why was it important to have uh, a female voice, you know, not your own voice, you know, or a male voice, for instance? Yeah, I think uh, I am interested in making work which isn't in the first person. So one of the signs says, uh, never trust a loving God. Now, it's not Nathan Coley that's saying that, although I take responsibility for being the author of the artwork, but it's lifted from somewhere else. I'm recontextualizing it here. And with uh, with another lecture, uh, I've very clearly tried to do the same. I don't want the work to be that I'm speaking to. I want it to be this other person, this other scenario. And so I felt it was important that it's not the voice of the artist felt it was important that it wasn't specifically my voice because I'm conscious that you would hear it as being exotic and different and being from Scotland. I also didn't want the voice to be uh, male because I wanted to kind of mess with this idea that the architect is 
middle-aged, middleweight male. I also didn't want it to be a male because I think we have a perception that history is written by men as well. So we needed a woman. And I needed someone who could bring a degree of gravitas to the text and someone who could be officious and patronising and a little bit nervous. And Juliana and I had some dinner and we drank some wine and then we drank some more wine and then the force of nature that Juliana is <coughs> said, Nathan, why don't you just tell me who you want to do the voiceover? And I learnt two things. Uh, I learnt sometimes in life you should ask for what you want and be surprised that you get it. And also that I think the, the great and the good uh, when you meet them can be very humble and very modest and utterly professional, which she was. Um, it put me under a bit of pressure actually because I kind of really felt that if that work wasn't successful it wouldn't be her fault, it would be mine. I couldn't blame it on that we got a friend to do the voiceover and it wasn't very good, you know. Uh, she was, you know, there was lines which, you know, I, I wrote the script and sent it to her before, you know, she said yes, and there was lines that kind of were rubbish, you know, <laughs> and she would say, it's not really working for me, Nathan, you know, and I'd say, it's not really working for me either, and she would, without even pausing, give me five versions of her, of just change the intonation, change the pause and the speed, so... Sometimes you should ask for what you want. <laughs> if you can get it. Yeah. If you can get it. Nathan, I think it's, well, from my point of view, it's everything that we wanted it to be. I think it is um, a really significant project, a fantastic project. And so I congratulate you on that. I hope it's um, given you something too, that uh, you've given something to us, something for us to enjoy and contemplate and think about for the next yeah. couple of months and hopefully like uh, the sanctuary project and the cemetery project, this one perhaps has a conveyance into yeah. some of the next things that you might do. My last, my lasting feeling to kind of share with you is that um, have you ever in your professional life felt you're on the cusp of something rather than at the end of something? You know, that's how I feel. And I also think uh, not only it's been a privilege working with everybody at ACA, which you guys have got to know this is a kind of special place, not just in Melbourne and in Australia, but you know, internationally on, on my circuit, you know, ACA is really quite something. Um, so it's been a privilege, you know, working with you. And, and, and Charlotte, we should mention. And Charlotte Day, of course, yes. And I'm kind of left feeling that, uh, you know, I've no regrets. I feel as if I really took advantage of the opportunity to do some new things and kind of challenge myself and uh, make the most of the situation. So I kind of genuinely hope you do that as well. We do. I'm sure we do. Can you thank Nathan Colley?